All right, welcome back guys. I wanna share with you all my video that I did last week with Mick Rock. And I went over to the Sunset Marquee in West Hollywood, and Ovation TV actually were nice enough to set this up. Uh, I wanna give you a little bit of context and before we get into this, and Mick is an amazing photographer. Uh, if you've checked out his work or looked at his website, when I mentioned that in the preview, uh, he just does some outstanding stuff. He works in several different styles. He has kind of the studio style that he has set up, which is more of a headshot kind of thing. Uh, but I think where his work really excels are one, concert photos, and two, uh, this street photography approach to shooting musicians in their lives. And just as a little bit of background on his career, Mick went to Cambridge where he became friends with Sid Barrett, who was Pink Floyd's original guitarist. Uh, through his friendship with that, it blossomed into a career. So at one point, he was very close with David Bowie. He was David's personal photographer. He's worked with Iggy Pop and the Stooges. He's worked with Lou Reed, and it just kind of grows from there. And some of the most amazing and talented musicians in the 70s, 80s, and 90s are who make his work considerably uh, quite a bit with. Uh, Mick is a really interesting individual, and I've only met one other person like this in my lifetime. Uh, Mick operates at this savant level, which it's kind of the Mozart effect. And when you consider, I think a good equivalent for Mick is if you consider it like to be the photography equivalent of somebody like Jimi Hendrix or Eddie Van Halen as they are to guitar. Hearing Hendrix or Van Halen talk about music theory is, is kind of a beating, but to hear them play is just amazing because it's not something they think about. It's something that's very internalized and they do most of it without really knowing it. And Mick is that way as a photographer. I also wanted to ask him a lot about the photography business because music photography is something a lot of people want to do. There was the news last week with Taylor Swift. And in talking to him, I mean, Mick never followed rules. He did it on his own terms. He did it the way he wanted to do it. And I think that's important to understand in context going into this interview. It's a very good interview. I do want to say one more thing. And this is a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, I chose not to edit some of the stuff out. And Mick asked if he could just be very off the cuff with this, and I told him that was fine, but this is a little bit more rough of an interview than probably what you're used to seeing on the show. Um, if you're easily offended by four-letter words or tales of debauchery and rock and roll lifestyle, this video might not be for you, but I feel like if I start to edit some of those things down a little bit, I'm gonna really destroy the integrity of the interview. So without further ado, this is my interview with the one and only Mick Rock. You kind of have two styles that you shoot in. About and four, actually. About four. Yeah, yeah. Quadrophenia, we work. Well, let's, let's actually talk about that because you have stuff that is more studio-oriented, the stuff with Debbie Harry, for instance. Um, headshots is too loose a term, but plays with color, plays with portraiture. And then you have kind of this social mm -hmm. documentary street photography approach to it. Well, especially early on with... Uh, and and I'm, I'll tell you, I don't do it much anymore. But back in the day, I was a wicked performance uh, for, as it turns out in retrospect, for starters, Transformer and Raw Power are performance photographs. Then of course that one, that shot over there with David gnawing away on Mick's <coughs> guitar. And um, yeah, I don't know, the thing, it, coming out of rock and roll you learn to shoot anything. I could shoot parties, I could shoot anything, I could go to your house. You, you learn because if you want to make a couple of dollars, you kind of have to. But, but also when, you're, when I was that age, I mean, I was game for just about anything. Oh no, wrong camera. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> but you'll have to figure that in your imagination, given some of those people I hung about in those early days. So that's really how the career started then? Um, it started after an LSD trip 
when I was at Cambridge University in England, I, um, I picked up a camera on, uh, well, it could have been the first or, no, the second trip that I took with a young blonde lady of, shall we say, uh, mucho appeal. Um, and, um, and I started, and I loved, every time I clicked, I love this thing, this explosive thing that happened. I mean, the acid in those days, I have to tell you. Well, you go and see a guy. I remember going to see this guy, and he was probably high on acid, and he'd lay out a sheet of blotting paper, and he'd just plonk, so you never knew how much you... I mean, I never thought about it back then, because that's the way we got it. Um, this is my first year at Cambridge. This would have been, hmm, probably 66. So it was a little... It was quite on the edge, because, you know, it hadn't... 67 was when all that stuff exploded out this there. slightly earlier then. Yeah, a minute or two, a couple of minutes, and I was whatever it was, 17, 18 or 18, and, you know, thought I knew everything, but actually knew nothing, as it turns out. Interesting. Is this around the time you met Sid Barrett? Yes, it was exactly around the time when I met him, although it was actually a couple of years later before, when I had started playing around with the camera, that I actually shot him. Uh, and I, with Sid, I hadn't got to know him. I took an acid trip maybe about a month before we did the Mad Cat session. And um, whatever, I had a, we had a lot of fun. So we knew whatever we were going to do, it was going to be fun. And he was personally, and certainly with me, and you can see it in a lot of the pictures I took, yeah, there are some moody ones. Um, and of course, those ones are the first of my, what people call my classic, iconic, shots, although, didn't, what did I know what I was up to? No, the film was all grainy. As it happens, it looked great. The lighting um, that you see, I was using daylight film, I think maybe because you could push it a little bit more, push process, and I had a little reflector photo flood to light it. Not the stuff, but if there's some stuff by the window, first I wasn't doing that. But then the ones, like the one with the, no, even that was by the window. The one with the naked girl in the background, for instance. That's what I used that for. So um, everything I didn't know what to do seemed to produce interesting results, and people love them. I mean, they love Sid, and of course Sid has a special cult. But um, you know, things the grainy shit looks a bit painterly, and the the other stuff, the street stuff, is all grainy and. And the reason the stuff used to be grainy because I needed to push process stuff at the time. And of course, you know, my Iggy stuff was like that and the... We were getting the light, so it was the top yeah. color. Well, back in those days, I mean, today, the camera I've got, the Canon 5D Mark III, you can push that up to like 64,000 yeah. or what, maybe more. Back in those days, you could barely get it to 1,600 ASC. <laughs> there were no 100 at the end, yeah. So, Which um, is interesting, though, because with technical limitations and the fact that, like, you never allowed those to get in the way. No, I was a bit of an animal. I just fucking went for it because sure. I loved it. But see, I think that's the key, though, because obviously you knew Sid personally. Didn't think much about. It. I never. I was yeah. highly. I was highly educated in the classic English way, because I, you know, whatever. Not that my parents had any money, but but I was good at exams. I was good under pressure. And you probably knew less in my subjects than certain other people knew, but I did research on the exam. I mean, I had a certain, 
uh, now I look back, I thought, well, you had a certain amount of initiative, Mick, and even though some of what you were doing was a bit unorthodox and the good guys wouldn't do it, nevertheless, it somehow worked out and it was a good, I mean, I would never have been a photographer, it hadn't been for rock and roll. I mean, I thought, yeah, I've shot a bit of fashion in the meantime, and of course, I've shot some models over the years, but it was the rock and roll that inspired me. I certainly didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to be a news photographer and just run around to every tragedy going out there, and I, or some boring local thing, and I certainly didn't uh, want to be a fashion photographer, which looked, didn't just, it was about clothes. I'm not that rock and roll isn't about clothes, right. but first and foremost, it's about these massive personas who, you know, when they get up on stage, they are huge. I mean, if you not that tall, you get him on stage and the motherfucker blows up like the Hulk, you know? Yeah. And Mick Jagger's not so tall either. But when he hits that stage, the audience, I'm sure they all think he's at least my height, but he's not. He comes <laughs> life. Yes, but he is certainly and an incredible projector. It's about projection like Freddie Mercury, when I first met him, I think the first live show I saw was about 800 people. Bowie, the first one I saw, was 400 people, but in both cases, you could see in their brains, they were projecting to a much bigger audience. They did big, big emanations for small venues, and um, they obviously knew where they were going. You know, with a career, that spans several decades that yours had. I'm still shooting, lad. Don't you fucking man, <laughs> man who shot the He's fucking seventies shit like I like that's all I ever did. Well, I mean, I shot, shot Pharrell and Janelle Monet and Carol. Seventies, eighties, nineties, and but well, it was getting it got a little bit dimmer towards the end of the eighties because and early nineties because my shall we say cocaine problem um, had gotten completely out of order. <laughs> I could still shoot, but the rest of my life was a wreck. You uh, live the rock and roll lifestyle. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of silly really now I look back on it. Still ask Tommy Lee and Nikki Six when we did that show in the, in, in the, it was done in LA, it's some studio in LA and we wandered off the sets, did these great elaborate sets that were, because uh, they had money, they were making a lot of money at the time. And uh, we wandered off and found this uh, bath and I don't even think it was my idea to come, it was more likely Nicky's or Tommy's to, to do the bubble bit. And um, of course I got these pictures which just lurked about for many years until the dirt came out. And then, ah, oh, it was the perfect shot of Motley Crue, the dirtiest, the naughtiest band of the 80s, God bless them. In the tub. In the tub, I don't know what they were doing under the bubbles, but there they were. How do you think music is, maybe not so much music, but a lot of the people that you've shot and are associated with, Bowie, uh, early Pink Floyd, Genesis, uh, and the theatrics involved with the stage presentation, with the music, how has that changed? I mean, certainly technology, you're capable of bigger, better, wilder, but I, I'm too young to have seen Genesis, but I can only so imagine. So how young are you? 40, <laughs> you want to know? <laughs> I was a little small to be getting into the Lamblights Down on Broadway tour. But, okay. yeah, but I mean, how has it changed? Because, you know, well, Gabriel much. was making slides by himself and, you know, costumes and... Well, I mean, when in 76, I toured Lou Reed was the first one. He, we had 60 TV sets. It was the Rock and Roll Heart Tour. And no one had seen anything like it. The problem was 
at every venue, we lost a couple of TVs and then we had to go out and find them in some store the day of the actual performance. There was obviously, and David, but you remember that people think David as Ziggy Stardust, most of that theatricality was him. The way he dressed, the way he would project, the makeup, the hair, I mean, and you know, of course he looked extraordinary because um, he did look like, and once he shaved the eyebrows, he looked like he just landed, yeah. which was, you know, worked very well with people's idea of him. But it wasn't only one time with uh, Lindsay Kemp, his mime mentor, um, at, before he came over on his first American tour, before we came over on his first American tour. You know, most of the time on tour, oh, you, that camera is part of this. You can, absolutely. Okay. You can talk to whichever one you want. Um, so, um, uh, yes, there, there happened to be, I happened to be, but of course Lou in the, like, the day of Transformer, there was nothing there going on, Iggy, the day of raw power, um, but it did gather steam. And of course, Peter, I have these great pictures of uh, Peter Gabriel, taken in 1973, so that was a couple of years ago, um, but he, um, He's got this fucking stocking on his head and he's got a bow around his neck. And many years later he said, you know, even though we, I did a couple of live shoots, even though we never did, actually did another session, I remember him saying to me, you know, those are my all-time favourite pictures. I mean, of course they would be of him looking totally whacked out, you know. Which he still God bless, yeah. Amazing, ta <laughs> no, he's an amazing talent and he's, he's, he's a very, I remember meeting him with Lou, a few years ago, and, and he was still the same. I mean, his amazing success uh, just at a it hadn't, it was nothing to do with his ego. He, he always had that well under control, it seems to me. Um, it was, he was just able to let his imagination cut loose more and more. And as much as I like the Genesis work, I have to tell you, I probably prefer Peter's solo work. Without Genesis, there couldn't have been a solo career, but, but I probably, I liked what Genesis were doing, but once he kicked into his solo thing, that's when I went, ah, he stretched the boundaries a bit more. You mentioned ego and Gabriel was a little one. Do you think that part of your... I'm sure his ego was quite big, but he was, unlike Donald Trump, he didn't want to assault the world <laughs> with it. And well, let me ask you this. Do you think that part of your job description is learning how to work with egos? Clashes? I never, you know what? It may be. I never really thought about it. I just went in... And to me, they were artists. So, I, so there was an eccentricity. And you gotta remember how young I was when I started. I didn't have many reference points. And the people I were hanging down but around me were psychedelic loonies anyway. So um, I, um, I just totally accepted that. I mean, they, I think the reason why uh, in that early period, you know, probably up to the mid 80s, when I would spend, I mean, I've got great whole collection of great Joan Jett pictures. Mostly people know the I Love Rock and Roll shot, but I've got tons of others from around that, over that two year period, in, in all kinds of recording, hanging about, hanging about backstage, whatever. Um, certain people, Thin Lizzy is the same. I, I mean, I'm mentioning these because people don't often associate that with me. Um, and but obviously David Phil and Lou and Iggy career. and Queen. They, what's that? Phil had such a short career. Phil, what? Phil in Well, it wasn't that short. In England, yeah. his first hit, I met him in '72 when I was shooting, okay, yeah. and he had whiskey in the jar. Yeah. 
which Metallica did an okay version of later, but you had to be an Irishman to really, and especially a black Irishman, to really get it over. Over. Did I? We'll just, nope, you're good. Oh, it slipped out of my asshole. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I, they, to me, they were artists, and then they became friends, and I would, uh, you would, I'd be hanging about anywhere, nobody thought about the implications of the photograph. That's why I have stuff that people will never see, because they were never really intended to be published. They were just part of the fun of the moment, and nobody... I mean, who knew this fucking internet shit and you would come along, you know? <laughs> I mean, and now, and, and this is like a greedy, fucking huge, greedy machine. And as much as it does want a little bit of chatter and sound and music, what it's primarily geared to is the visual world. And that, in certain ways, I suppose, has uh, been good for us, shall we say, more mature photographers because our work is more appreciated nowadays than it was at the time. And for the young ones, I don't know if they're making money or not, but at least one thing, we would take pictures and you'd get a few dollars here and there. Uh, but it was enough to survive on. But, um, and of course there was plenty of, you know, there was, well, there was, you know, side. It, you, well, you'd get, you know, somebody else's leftovers. Shall I put it like that? <laughs> wow. Actually, not always like that. I can remember certain people who are into, you know, shall we say, um, how should we put it, you know, not so dazzlingly attractive women, they kind of, you know, because there was more of a kink to that, you know. So obviously if you want to have um, some kind of organic relationship with a beautiful young lady, but, you know, some of the other ladies deserved a bit of service in too, and I could tell you a couple of very famous people who would trot out, and even one in particular I knew, and I can't go there because it's too exciting, is uh, <laughs> this woman, and I would see in very late night, clubs and she told me about I met her and she, she had two missing front teeth well maybe there was whatever maybe that added to a certain thing 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 that I'm not going to go into right now because it might be too vulgar now I'm not really most of the time I'm not on this camera most of the time most you are most of the time you're on this one do you often get younger photographers who are new to the business that ask you how do I do it it's like a take it out and stick it in. I mean, what's your problem, <laughs> not mine? <laughs> well, but seriously, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the questions that people tend to, or maybe I should say rants that people do online on the internet in terms of photographers and business goes, there was a big deal a couple of weeks ago with Taylor Swift and oh, people I didn't were just know insulted by what she had in her contract. And of course, you know, she's the poster girl for I won't do anything with Apple. And yeah, <laughs> she got smart very young, you know, I have to tell you that. Sure. Even though people may not like it, I go, well, I've seen what's going on in this game I go you've had some very sharp advice and I in a way I mean what do I care if I'm going to shoot right. Taylor Swift it's going to be strictly by invitation it'd be a one-on-one and being a setup I'm not a paparazzi I'm yeah, not, don't I don't shoot right. live stuff it doesn't and with all due respect to Taylor as valuable as those pictures might have it will be nothing compared to the value of my over 5,000 pictures of David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust so I'm not, I don't think like that anymore. If I think about it, I think about galleries, you know, and if a magazine wants me to shoot something, that's great. But I'm just more concerned about galleries. Well, with what you do is so unique though, and I think that that's a dying breed of music photographers, unfortunately. Someone who has a personal relationship with people who can get backstage, who, you're, ha you're having lunch here, and we didn't even- No, I actually lunch. wasn't eating a fucking thing. Really? No, these but two were the, eating. That's the feeling that I have, is that you're in the picture. It's a great picture in my new, 
co-signed David Bowie book is being done by Tashin Books with a lenticular oh, cover. Nice and the other picture, a picture taken a second later, of David scooping some food into his mouth is in the book. I don't think I've ever published that. Same, before. same. Oh, it's right. It would have been a second later, but yeah. it was just David. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I think a lot of those people in those days, one was you became, and this is true not just of me, it's true of my friend Bob Gruen, it's true of Henry Diltz, it's true uh, of a bunch of photographers, and you got to know, because you're in this little cesspool, yeah. and it's not that big, mm -hmm. and the thing, no, you know, this is, you're talking about the, still the 70s, and things hadn't blown up to the degree, and the stadiums, and, and even the sales, you know, were not, yes, of course, they were very good, sure. but it wasn't, it became, you know, a lot more, and, um, I think maybe at times because I looked like them and the name Mick Rock and I wasn't a pushy photographer. I wasn't, uh, you know, a little bit of a puff in my own way when I was younger and I was not, I was not an aggressive photographer. Right. I, I would, it wasn't, you know, I could fucking hell, but I mean, it didn't have to. Back in that. No, I'm not, I don't, doesn't, in, not, hey, I have friends who, paparazzi, God bless them, I take my hat off. And look what Ron Galella's done. Now he's in sure. museums all over the world. And has you know, film and yeah. I mean, and I mean, he's a fucking loony old geezer now. But, you ever met Ron? But God bless him. I mean, he does as much as Jackie Onassis for a long time. I mean, he does <laughs> get the he does, and of course it's Jackie Onassis. Right. You know, it's not all. I should say Jackie Kennedy, which is how I prefer to think of her. Um, that are extraordinary, and people do want to see and. But back in those days, I mean, Marlon Brando like attacked him with a fucking baseball bat or something, right. and he survived. So I, I mean, I could never have had the balls to do if you didn't. I'm much more delicate. If you didn't want me to photograph you, then I didn't. Then I didn't care about it. It was not. I wanted you to love the pictures, uh, and they all knew this. And I didn't want to affect. I did. It wasn't like that. It wasn't coming from there. To me, these guys were like. Baudelaire, Rimbaud, you know, Shelley, Keats, uh, Coleridge, uh, The Beats. They, uh, that's because this was my education. So right. that, I saw them in that light. So I had a huge respect for their talent going in, whether they were well known or they weren't. I could see what I saw and love what I loved. And uh, so I really came at it from, uh, I didn't come at it in, in any other way. I, I, and I think they knew that. And of course, I have been respectful because I love these people and, and I think I feel I'm a sort of image guardian. But that's why they have even Sid Barrett co-signed some books from a limited edition. But Queen came to the well, table. Well, trust, yeah. Lou Reed came to the table. Iggy's come to the table. I hope that we haven't yet done our, um, done our uh, limited edition book. But we've done a couple of Raw Power books. And uh, of course, David has come twice to the table. And God bless David Bowie, he's been very, uh, it, it never makes, believe me, David is a very nice, kind man. He will not make a fuss about it, he doesn't want his name associated. He is a gentleman of true class. David Bowie, I mean, a lot of people are. I mean, Iggy's a great guy. I love Lou, I mean, Freddie was, but there's David, and of course, he's raised the game to a whole other level. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to put it, because I'm not, taking the piss out of David ever at all. But when people ask me about him, I say, I don't know. We have an email relationship nowadays. And 
if I inquire, he says he's fine, but I've called his Greta Garbo period, which is, you know, John Lennon had a Greta Garbo period too. So, um, but I think it's very appropriate with David. It's sure. because he was not only a very bizarre looking character when he was younger, but he was also a beautiful man. I mean, and that, I've got some images of Ziggy Stardust. If I was, if I was a screaming, I'd be like backing off and whacking off. He looked so beautiful. But um, <laughs> God bless David. Can he's, I ask he's, you he's, really he's, anyway, he's, you know, my level of respect is through the roof for these people, and, and especially people like David and Lou and Iggy and Fred and Sid Barrett, which is really in many ways the way David and I first connected, because he knew Sid was a friend of mine. And of course, he brought Iggy and Lou to the table, which excited me, even though they were very subterranean and could barely give away records in those days. But David did a rescue job on them, and he did a brilliant one. And, and I, think, I think a lot of people owe David a... He had a certain, like, mummy thing about him. I mean, he was a... He actually cared about people. Um, and he showed it in his own quiet way. He never... And I suppose when you've got that much fame and glory and people wanted to kiss every part of your body, you don't need to scream it from the rooftops. What a decent, sweet guy. Well, he was a naughty boy in his day, but weren't we all, you know? But, um, but I, um, I will always take my hat off to David Bowie. Mick, thank you, sir. God bless. My pleasure. Okay, all right, lads. Can we crack out the cocaine and let's get serious? <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a special shout out to the folks at Ovation for setting up the interview with Mick. That was a wonderful opportunity to get to do that for the show. And if you guys enjoyed this video, remember to hit the like button and share it with your friends. And as always, subscribe to The Art of Photography so you'll always be up to date on all the latest and greatest videos we do. Until next time, I'll see you later.